just really seems some beautiful, amazing pictures about Jesus. It's been pictures to show us that Jesus is our great high priest in these last couple of chapters. In particular, the writer of Hebrews has highlighted that we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. That's particularly noted in chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. And rather than being in fear, we should recognize that we have a great high priest that makes it possible then for us to approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may be able then to receive mercy and find grace to those to help for those who need help in our time of need. Now what we're going to see in chapter 5 is the writer is going to explain how this works. I often will comment to you about terrible chapter breaks. This is certainly one of them, and I always comment on it when the first word is for. That really tells you we're right in the middle of something, (laughs) that we have put a big number in the way that sometimes causes us to break off of that. So I'm reminding you of verses 14 through 16 of chapter 4. We have a sympathetic high priest, and he's not done with that. He is continuing on in that thought process as he pictures this high priest for us. He says there in chapter 5, verse 1, For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for the people. Now, it's a little bit easy, I think, to get off track in reading those three verses to miss what I believe is the author's intent of this. So I want to try to keep it within the bounds of what is being told to us. You'll notice what he's doing is just gives us a picture of what a high priest does. It's not really a commentary in particular about anyone or anything. Just here is a reminder about what the role of a high priest is. A high priest acts... On behalf of the people, he brings offerings, he brings gifts, he offers sacrifices, he does all of those things. And notice what is emphasized about the role of the high priest. Because of his role in that, the high priest is not then looking down upon scorn on the rest of Israel. The high priest does not have somebody come to him with a sacrifice and say, oh, it's you again. Uh, Weren't you here yesterday with this offering? Are we doing this again? That was not his role. He is working on behalf of the people. And notice that it specifies in verse 2, he can deal gently with them. That's the whole point, is that you had a high priest who was sympathetic, who could deal gently with the people because he himself was subject to the same weaknesses. He had an understanding of that. Now, in your mind, that might be cluing in what the writer of Hebrews has been doing. The writer of Hebrews has been trying to draw this close association of why the Son had to become human and why He would become like us so that we could be brothers with Him so that we would also have a sympathetic high priest. That's what the writer has been doing here and that's what he's continuing to do is give us that picture. Even the earthly high priest was dealing gently with the people and was sympathetic to them. And when you think about Jesus in his earthly life, that is exactly what you see in him. 
The prophets spoke of how Jesus would do this. Do you have to love Isaiah? Who, who among us does not grab onto that phrase when it says there that a, a bruised reed he would not break? When he comes, the goal was not to wipe everybody out and take bruised reeds and snap them in half and wreck them. No, He was going to come with compassion. He was going to deal gently with the people as the writer of Hebrews is highlighting. In fact, think about how often you see in the New Testament where it will tell us that Jesus will look upon the crowds. He will see the multitudes. And does He have anxiety toward them? Does He have scorn toward them? Does He have anger toward them? No, It'll say that he was moved with compassion. Three times in the Gospel of Matthew, as you see the storyline of Jesus, it will say he looked upon the crowds and he felt compassion for them. And what the Gospels are doing is trying to show us the sympathetic high priest that we have. Is that this is exactly the picture of the high priest we need is that we need one who is going to be sympathetic to our condition, who will understand what we are going through, and then we'll be able to do something about it. And so that's what those first three verses are doing, is trying to show we have this sympathetic high priest. And verse 3 even is giving us the picture. We really do have a better one than what those high priests were who were of an earthly nature. We have one who is not beset with weaknesses or beset with sin. That brings us to the second picture that he wants to give us, which begins in verse 4. And no one takes this honor on himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was, so also Christ did not exalt himself, but to be made a high priest, he was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever. After the order of Melchizedek. So the first picture was we have a sympathetic high priest. He experienced life as we experience it. Now we're noticing the qualification of a high priest. And he gives us this point. A high priest was always directly called by God. No one just woke up and said, hey, everybody, I'm high priest today. How are you doing? That's not how it worked. God called Aaron. God designated who would be high priest. And in the same way, Jesus was also designated as high priest. And you'll notice the quotations that are used to prove this. He first quotes Psalm 2, verse 7, where we have seen that the writer of Hebrews has used this back in chapter 1, calling Jesus son. Here is the Father, He designates Jesus, He designates Christ as Son. And then He uses a second quote from Psalm 110 verse 4 and says, Not only did the Father call Him Son, He also calls Him High Priest. The same God who calls Him Son also calls Him High Priest. He is operating in both of these roles. He has sonship as well as priesthood. And the writer now is trying to set up something very important for us. Because what we are seeing with Jesus is that He is the Son of God. He is the great high priest because of all that He experienced, because of all that He suffered, and because God has divinely appointed Him to this task. I want you to hold that in your mind because there's a big so what here in what the writer of Hebrews is doing. You have Jesus. He is the Son 
and he is the high priest. He is qualified to be son and to be high priest through what he experienced as being human because of what he suffered in this life and because he was divinely appointed by God. Now watch the turn of events that the writer of Hebrews does with this because it's majestic. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. I think this is just a stunning spin of what the writer of Hebrews is doing for this group of Christians. Here is Jesus. He has experienced life as we experience it. He suffered. He goes through all this. Here is this great son of God and he is high priest. And yet, what do you see him do? This is what verse 7 highlights. He offers up prayers and petitions to God. The great son and great high priest, when dealing with earthly life and dealing with trials and dealing with suffering and dealing with pain and going through all that he goes through, how does he handle it? What is the solution? How does he carry through the day? He offers prayers and petitions to God. What you are seeing in him is a complete dependence on the Father. You know, if, now if anybody you'd say could just go it alone, would it not be Jesus, the Son and Great High Priest? But that's not what you see is what the writer of Hebrews says. What you see the, the writer of Hebrews tell about Jesus is that when he came to those moments... Prayers and petitions. Probably most notably, we think in terms of the garden. We think of the last moments of his life. Certainly comes to mind. But I hope that we would not exclude our minds to just those moments. Think about how often you see Jesus withdrawing from the crowds. Going to a desolate place or going to a mountain to pray. I think all of us highlight that when we read that and think if Jesus takes time out of his day to go away to a quiet place and to pray to his father. What does that mean for us? And the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing that throughout all of his days in his flesh is what verse seven gets at. Everything that we see in his life, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and petitions his whole life is saturated with a prayer life which reveals his intense expressions of reliance upon the Father. That's all you see him doing over and over again. Even in the very words of the cross, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Over and over again, we're seeing in Jesus a full dependence upon God, complete reliance upon God. And it is through prayers and supplications that we see that. Now, here's the thing that I think is is absolutely amazing in verse 7. Notice the end of verse 7, it says that, And he was heard because he was the Son, and of course he was heard. He was heard because he's the great high priest, and of course he would be heard by God. Not the highlight, not the point. He was heard because of his reverence. 
Some translations say reverent submission, and I like that. That really encompasses both ideas of what's happening here. Complete dependence and reverence, respect, awe, and submission to God through everything that he went through in life. Now, I want us to consider what is going on here because we need to think about what's happening with this. Remember who the writer of Hebrews is speaking to. We have seen at the beginning of our study, and I want to remind you of it, that he is writing to Christians that we see in chapter 10 that are experiencing quite a bit of suffering for the cause of Christ. He tells them later on, it's not to the point of death, but they are being imprisoned. They are losing property. They are being reviled. They are going through difficulties. They have hardships. They are suffering quite a bit. And the writer of Hebrews is setting up a model for them. He says, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what Jesus did. Even though son and even though high priest, what does he do when he encounters the difficulties of life? What does he do in the days of his flesh when everything is happening to him? Prayers and petitions, prayers and supplications to God. And that he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard because he depended upon God. That the Father was there and the Father listened to him. And I think this is keying in on a couple of important ideas. Number one, the status of Jesus did not change by what he experienced. It wasn't like, well, he went through all this suffering. And I want you to know something. That showed he really wasn't the Son. No, no. The argument is quite different. Verse 8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, as humans, I would think, okay, you're the son of God. You don't have to go through all that, right? You know, you get the, the fast track, the bypass. You don't have to go through suffering. You don't have to go through pain. You don't have to go through misery. He's the son of God. And the point that's being underscored for us here is his relationship didn't stop as a son because of what he suffered. Although he was a son, notice all the things that happened to him. He learned obedience through what he suffered. One of the things that's being highlighted here that's important for us to truly register is that his sonship, was actually proven through the suffering. That's the idea of learning obedience through what he suffered. He reveals his sonship in that. And I mean that in terms of this relationship that he has with the Father. He is made complete through the suffering because we see his reverent submission. We see his full dependence upon the Father through all that he goes through. And although he was a son, what do you see in him? Obedience, obedience, obedience. What do you see even though he suffered? Prayers and petitions. What do you see through all the trial and difficulty? The tr- you see throughout his life this full submission to God 
a complete surrender to the will of God, no matter what the circumstances. Thus, verse 9, being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Notice being brought to maturity, this completion through what he suffered, he becomes the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He accomplishes the task, please note it, through the suffering, not by bypassing the suffering. His role as son and high priest are verified through the suffering in the days of his flesh. Now, why does the writer of Hebrews really want to hit this? Since chapter 2, the writer of Hebrews has worked hard to make this parallel between us and Jesus. Remember, Jesus is called a son to the Father. We are also sons in this privileged relationship. We read this staggering statement. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. The writer of Hebrews wants this connection. We are sons together with Christ. God is our Father. Then he spent time trying to remind us Jesus experienced life as we experience it. He came in the flesh. He did not avoid the suffering. He did not avoid difficulty. He goes through all of those things. He experienced life as we experience it. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, here's the big deal with all of that. His faithful endurance and reverent submission through all that suffering is what allowed the success. That's what's being keyed in here. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Suffering becomes the means by which he can now be the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The suffering, the cross, all that he endured had to happen so that he could be the faithful high priest for us. He had to go through it. Now, we're okay with that part of the theology. All of us are like, it is so great. We just had the Lord's Supper. It is so great that that's what Jesus did for us. He is a great high priest, and he's a great high priest through the cross, through what he suffered. It gives us life, and he is the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. I think we would all amen and say, all right, we're all on board with that. Here's the part that we're not going to like about what that means. Since he as a son went through all that, that's what it means for us to be children of God too. That being a Christian does not mean avoiding suffering, but it means going through suffering. That's why all this has been set up for this very point. 
This is why we have to have this one who is the great high priest who is sympathetic to our weaknesses and has been tempted and tested in every respect without us. We are watching what Jesus goes through and the whole point is to recognize that we too are going to go through the same thing. Jesus does not go through suffering, is exalted and made victorious and is the source of eternal salvation so that we will have absolutely no suffering in this life. These Christians are suffering. And that's what he's trying to show them is the means by which to be a child of God, to be proven as his child is by going through the suffering. And let me push it a little bit further. It's not just going through suffering. but showing the same reverent submission and faithful obedience through the suffering. That's what the picture is. This is why we encounter those strange statements in the scriptures where the Apostle Paul, like in the book of Acts, is going to all these fledgling new churches and is encouraging them by saying through many tribulations, We must enter the kingdom of God. That Paul would write to Timothy and say, of course you are going through suffering. That's what we've been called to do is go through it. Of course we are suffering for the cause of Christ. That is what has to happen. And not only must suffering happen, our obedience and submission and faithfulness through the trial, through the suffering, through the difficulty is what we are called to do because that's what Jesus modeled. So to put the big idea on the board, just as Jesus persevered, reverently bending his will to the will of the Father in spite of extreme suffering. So we are called to do likewise. And to bend our will to the will of the Father, even in the face of difficulty and suffering. Do you see why the writer of Hebrews would come into play right here with the life of Christ? Because you want to know what I want to do? I want to go, yeah, but you all don't know my suffering. You don't know how hard it's been in my life. You don't know my difficulties. If you only knew what it was like to walk in my shoes, friends... There is not somebody who knows of a greater difficulty and a greater suffering than your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is why he's keyed into the suffering of Christ right here. We can play that card with each other, but you're not getting anywhere with God on that. Jesus suffered. And he gave prayers and petitions And entrusted his life to the one who judges justly. And learned obedience through what he suffered. And reverently submitted to the Father through all of that. Even though he was a son. And friends, we are sons and daughters of God also. So what should we expect to have happen? And what should be our response? That's what the writer of Hebrews is putting forward here. Is a powerful picture that suffering, friends, completes our submission. 
and is not an excuse for disobedience. We have the tendency as humans to look at our suffering and say it's too much. And here we've been given this picture. If you bring it back to chapter 4 and verse 15, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows. He knows. He knows what you're going through. He knows the difficulty. He knows the suffering. He knows the pain. And He knows what it means to submit in the face of extreme suffering and death. He knows what that means. And He did it. And friends, we must not allow our suffering in this life to push us to disobedience. That is so easy to do. When life gets hard, it is so easy to make an excuse for why we don't have to do what God says. It's easy. We will sometimes excuse it to each other. We'll say it when we're talking to each other. Well, I've gone through, if you understood, I'm going. And here's Jesus going, wait. In his extreme suffering and extreme trials, he submitted his life in reverent submission to the Father. We have been put in suffering so that we can be perfected. So that we will be transformed and made in the very image of God. Friends, I wish that it was any other way that that kind of maturity and spiritual growth and transformation would occur. I think we would all sign up and say, let it be anything but trials and suffering. But friends, that is the mechanism that God uses. And if you've been through enough of life, you will admit that it is suffering and trials that actually change us, not prosperity and good times. It is suffering that pushes us more toward the will of God and more toward the image of God. And this is what the writer of Hebrews wants these Christians to understand. What you are going through is not something to look at and go, what is going on? I thought I was a child of God, so why am I suffering? Here the writer of Hebrews answers it. You are a child of God. That is why you're suffering. Now submit faithfully and obey your God because that's what you see Jesus doing. That's the writer of Hebrews answer. Friends, trials test our faith. They test our endurance. They test to see if we are really children of God or not. They absolutely push us to the line to see if we really belong to Him or not. In working over this text and thinking about it, it struck me how the Gospel of Mark takes special note about the anguish that Jesus was in and how his soul was to the point of despair 
Here as he goes off to pray. We hit those times just as he hit them. There's nothing unusual about us going through that. He went through that. And we must decide if we are children of God because we will obey and we will submit through all the difficulty. If I can use the phrase that is found there in verse 8, we're learning obedience through suffering. Obedience is fairly easy when all is good. It's learning obedience through what we suffer. It is hard. It is soul-wrenching and it is difficult. But I hope that it will be presented to you as the writer of Hebrews presented to them that this would be a new way to look at trials and to look at suffering. It is a testing of our faith. It is a testing of our sonship before God to prove whether we truly belong to Him because we faithfully submit and offer our prayers and petitions to Him and continue to do the will of God or if we choose to disobey. And here's the really great news about all that, as much as it doesn't really sound like great news. Chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 establish something very important. If you look at verse 16 and remind yourself of it, that's why that big chapter 5 is in a bad spot for that chapter break. That you can approach the throne of grace with confidence and receive the mercy and the grace you need to help in your time of need. That's the lifeline that the Lord is putting forward through Christ. You have the help that you need. Jesus suffered in the flesh so that He can help you and me through our trials. And I pray that we would look to Him for strength, look to Him for help through prayers and petitions and by submitting our will to Him, whether it be good times or bad whether it be prosperity or trials, that we will always look at suffering as our learning obedience as children of God. We're going to sing an invitation song. I suppose it was similar to the invitation that the Apostle Paul was giving. Through many tribulations, we enter the kingdom of God. Do you want to be a child of God? It's worth it. To belong to Him, to have forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life, to be a child of of the Father is everything. And you have a faithful God who has suffered the extreme and knows what life is like on this earth so that He is your faithful and great high priest to help you in your time of need. And we're offering that help to you, that you would give your life to Jesus this very day, that you would turn away from sin, turn away from disobedience, to turn away from excuses that keep you from serving the true and living God. Today, make the day of change to follow the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all the strength that you have. 
to serve Him faithfully through thick and thin, through difficulty, through great times, whatever may come. Because He gave His life for you so that you could have hope with Him. Can we help you do that? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?